we go. Hey, week one of this series, we looked at the Lion King. And we talked about, hey, remember who you are. The enemy's going to try to get you to forget who you are. And the Father says, no, remember who you are. The week two, last week, what did we talk about? Thank you, babe. This is just sad that nobody else knew that. We talked about the Incredibles. We talked about the fact that we've all got these gifts that God has given. God has placed inside us. And when we try to live life without using the God-given gifts he's given us to their full God-given ability, it can leave you frustrated in life. And a lot of times you don't even know why you're frustrated. Well, this week we are going to look at... The first nine races across that finish line will represent... Hold on a minute. I've got control up here. Don't try to get ahead of me. <laughs> Trying to get ahead of me. We're on Wreck-It Ralph this week. Um, anybody like Wreck-It Ralph? Any, any fans of it? Thank you, some of our younger ones. Uh, hopefully, I will stay in the PG zone today, but that's why we offer t- class for those under 12. Because this is... Uh, never mind. Let's go on. So, anyway... Uh, so the Wreck-It Ralph, Wreck-It Ralph was released in October 2012, becoming the 52nd Disney animated feature film. It grossed over $471 million in the theater. This movie had also had nominations for both a Golden Globe Award as well as an Academy Award for Animated Feature. Now, if you don't know anything about the movie, I'm going to give you a really quick rundown. The movie's about this guy named Ralph. He's tired of being the bad guy. He's tired of, he's tired of watching Fix It Felix get all the applause. Everybody loves Fix It Felix. And he thought, I don't want to be the bad guy anymore. I, I want to do something good. So he jumps game, goes over to, what, what's the name of the uh, Hero's Duty. He jumps over there into Hero's Duty and to get him a medal. I want a medal. He goes over. He wins him a medal. But when he jumps back out of the game, a cyborg uh, uh, follows him, comes back with him. Well, then we jump from there into the picture of Vanellope Von Schweetz is who I really want to look at in this game. Vanellope wants to race. She's, she's part of this uh, cart racing game called Sugar Rush. She wants more than anything to race. In fact, when they're telling her to pick a different career, she said, I know I'm a racer. I feel it in my code. And, and so she knows that, but everybody else is telling her something different because of a glitch. The first nine races across that finish line will represent Sugar Rush as tomorrow's avatar. <laughs> yes, calm down. Listen, this event is pay to play. We all know this. The fee to compete is one gold coin from your previous winnings if you've ever won. <laughs> I have. <laughs> Let me go first. <laughs> Tap with a mutton fudge. Sweet. Adora Beasel Winter Pop. Lloyd Orange Boar. 
Steeler. Uh, well, I catch that breath. Minty Zaki. Snow Anna Rainbow. Francis Flugger Butter. Jubilina Bigby. Swizzle Malarkey. Candlehead. Bill, who's that last one? Vanellope Von Sweets! I'm in the race! Vanellope? <gasps> the Grinch. Is that now? No. <laughs> Everything is all right. Don't worry, we will have our race before the arcade opens. And I'm in it. There's no way that I am racing with a glitch. Francis, Candlehead, come on. Powerville, that glitch cannot be allowed to race. And oh, race. Vanellope, it's so you, but <laughs> you have to back out of the race. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I don't, you know, because I, I paid my fee and I'm on the board, so yeah, I'm definitely racing. Yeah, well, King Candy says glitches can't race. I'm not a glitch dad. I've just got Pixlexia, okay? The rules are there for a reason, Vanellope. To protect us. Say I'm you. I'm in my weird little car, and I'm driving, and I actually feel kind of cool for once, and then all of a sudden, oh no, I'm gl 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 glitching! Hey! See? You're an accident just waiting to happen. Oh no! I gl 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 glitched too! Hey, I'm cool. You're breaking the glitches. Oh, please! I just want to race like you guys. You will never be a racer because you're a glitch, and that's all you'll ever be. You'll never be a racer because you're a glitch, and that's all you will ever be. Here's one of the reasons I think this movie resonates with people and speaks to the human condition. is because every person in here, I don't care where you come from, what your background is, uh, what socially, uh, ethnicity-wise, uh, uh, whatever it is, we've all got something inside of us that makes us feel like, oh, this is something wrong with me. I've got a defect in me. I've got a glitch in me. There's no way this can be used. There's no way this is going. And that's what I love about the, the community here at Watts Bar Church is this. We've got people from different backgrounds, people from different social settings. We've got people, and I think that's the way the body of Christ should be. We've got people that drive super nice cars, and then we've got people that may drive a 79 Gremlin. Uh, we own it. If you own that Gremlin, hey, own it. Drive with pride. Uh, uh, we've got people that that uh, work as CEOs. We've got people that 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 work uh, down at the carpet mill. We we've got different backgrounds. We've got people that live in really nice houses. We've got people that man, they're just glad to have a floor underneath them. Different backgrounds, but but where we all come together is when it comes to us. There is something inside of us all. There's something there that we we've, we've all got a glitch. Look at your neighbor, tell them, everybody's got a glitch. Everybody, everybody's got one. And if you say, I don't, your glitch is pride. Um, so, 
But there's a great story found in chapter in Second uh, Kings chapter four. If you got a Bible, want to turn with me? If not, I'm going to bring it up on the screen. But it involves this widow and and Elisha. Uh, and I love this miracle that we're going to look at. It is and I've preached from it before, but I want to take a different angle from it, if that's okay. So are y'all ready to dive into the word? Second Kings chapter four, start with verse one. Here we go. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Now let me ask a question. Has this woman done anything wrong? No, I mean, it's her husband, the one that's got him in debt, right? It's her husband that's the reason. Uh, now, wives, don't be elbowing your husbands right now. But this woman finds herself with a deficiency or a defect that has nothing to do with her. Can I tell you, sometimes life hits you and it has nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. It's just life. Sometimes you get bad news. Sometimes something happens. It has nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. It's just sometimes it's just life being life. Are you with me? Now, one of the things I love about this story is it's sandwiched in between two other uh, uh, stories with Elisha. Right before this chapter, before this, you've got Elisha over here consulting with three kings. He's advising them on what they need to do to go to battle. So, you know, he's, he's meeting with kings and presidents. Well, then you've got this miracle. Then on the other side of that, right after, you've got Elisha uh, meeting with a prominent, very wealthy woman. Sandwiched in between those, you've got this very poor woman. Here's what I love about this. Elisha, the man of God, he's like, I'm here for everybody. God is here for everybody. And I think what it's saying to us is, hey, God is here for the wealthy. God is here for the presidents and the, and the kings. God is here for the influential. But God is also here for the single mom that can barely make ends meet. God's also here for the single dad that is working two jobs just to put, put food on the table. God is here for everyone in between. He's not out just for one certain people. And so he meets them, and the woman tells Elisha, Hey, my husband had got us in debt. Before he died, he thought it was a good idea to go out and buy this 2019 Ranger bass boat. And none of us fished, but now he's dead. And the bass boat's lost its value, can't sell it. And now the creditor's coming after us. That hit a little too home for some of y'all. Just go ahead, take it, take it. Uh, he said, now they're going to come and take my sons as slaves. And Elisha replies, verse 2. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has, there, has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left, and the oil stopped flowing. What was this woman's go-to response when Elisha says, tell me, what do you have? Nothing. 
I don't have nothing. I've, I, I, I've got nothing. Here, here's, here's what I think the enemy loves to do. When, when, it's, when, when you've got so little, see, here's what happens. When you focus, am I behind I am? When you focus on what you don't have, you begin to minimize what you do have. What you, you, when you focus on everything you don't have, well, what you do have, you forget about it. You make little of it. And he wants to get you so focused on what you don't have that you forget what you do have over here. Look at verse 2 again. Elisha replied uh, to her, how can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Now, I don't know if you've ever talked with a prophet or before. That can be a little weird. Let's, let's just be honest. They can be a little awkward, a little out there. And most of them that I've been around and met, they're not great socially. They don't have great social ethics. So I can picture this uh, when he says, tell me, what do you have in your house? And she says, nothing. And I, I picture Elisha. Anybody ever watch wrestling with a rock? And that eyebrow goes up. I imagine giving her the rock eyebrow like, Nothing? Really? You've got nothing? And then it gets so awkward, you know, those people that'll just sit there and let it be silent. <laughs> kind of like I'm doing now. Um, and then she said, well, I, I do have a, a little oil. See, she's, she forgets about what she does. Now, have you ever met those people that every time they talk, it, they have nothing good going on in their life? Come on, yeah, yeah, honestly. I mean, they complain about their boss, their 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 husband, their wife, their their kids, their dog, the the dirt, uh, everything. I, I've had meetings with people. And I, when I tell you, I'm not a great counselor. My wife says I am, but really I'm not. Uh, I'll just be open with you. But they'll be talking to me, talking to me, and I want to say, dude, don't you have anything good going on in your life right now? Because you're According to you, but, and I want to say, did, did, did you wake up this morning? Did you have air conditioning when it's eight degrees of hell outside here in Tennessee? Uh, did, did you eat today? Well, I can tell that. Don't eat answer me, buddy. Uh, let's, come on now. Y'all got to lighten up. Y'all are to the tent. Hey, were you able to walk over here? Because I've got people that can't even walk over here. And if they could, they'd be here at church right now. But what happens is we minimize, we get so overwhelmed with what we don't have or the scarcity of it that we begin to minimize the supply, what we do have. And, and that's what this woman's doing here. Her need is so great. Her situation is so bad that she forgets about what she does have. Does have. Because what, I, what, what I'm assuming is this uncomfortable stare down. The one says, I do have a small jar of olive oil. Let me ask, could it be that you are minimizing or forgetting the very thing that God wants to use in your life? Could it be that you're making a little of the very thing that God wants to use to bring a turnaround in your life? 
I'm telling you, when you live in a place of want or need or with a defect for so long, it gets easy to start being unappreciative of what you do have. Can we be real today? And especially if you go through a season where you lose something or lose something, someone, that's what happened here. This woman has lost her husband. She spent everything she has now trying to take care of her two boys. She's down to one small uh, jar of olive oil, and she thinks, this is so small, it's not even worth mentioning. Why even bring it up? I'm telling you, I believe a lot of times God is wanting to do a miracle through something in our life that we don't even feel like is worth even mentioning because we've made it so small, so little, and we've forgotten about what we do have. I'm telling you, this woman didn't, this woman didn't have nothing, right? She had something. Right? She said, I've got nothing. No, you don't. You've got something. She's got a small jar of oil. But what I've learned about the enemy, if he can't completely empty you out of all your oil, he'll start causing you to hate your oil or hate what you do have. This is all. That's nothing. And he'll get you to start despising it, to hate it. That thing you call a defect in your life, that thing you think, this is what's wrong with me, he'll get you to start hating it. He knows he can't steal your oil. Are you hearing me? And I hope you know I'm not talking about that bottle that goes in your cabinet. He knows he can't steal. He, I'm talking about he, he knows he can't steal what God put inside of you. He can't steal your calling. He can't steal your gifting. He can't steal the people that, that, that God placed in your life. He can't steal your marriage. He can't steal your finances, your job. But what he can do is make you think so little of it that you begin to neglect it. And so people at church, they'll sit in church, attend church week after week, month after month or year after year. They're sitting there forgetting or minimizing the very gift that God gave them. And they're sitting there calling what God gave them nothing when it's really something. Man, I hope you're getting this. You, you, do you know what we're real bad about? Comparing our oil with somebody else's oil. Comparing what we've been given with what God gave somebody else. Come on now, that's about to get real. I'll say this, God's not going to judge me for what you did with your oil. God's not going to judge me for what you did with what he gave you. God's going to judge me for what I did with what he gave me. But we, we, it's real easy. I, I, if I'm honest, I'm, I've been guilty of it myself. Of, of comparing my oil. But what I've learned is the more and the more, more and more is this, I'm not responsible for anybody else's but my own oil and the, all the gifts that God has given me. And so, but what we do, we minimize what God has given us. There's a story about Elijah, not Elijah, but the prophet Elijah. First Kings 18, uh, where, where Elijah goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with uh, 450 prophets of Baal. This is an awesome story. And, and uh, I'll tell you why I love Elijah, because he he's got such attitude. But he goes toe-to-toe, -to -toe and he says, listen, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Baal, prophets of Baal, you build an altar. You put a cow up on it, bull up on it, and I'll build an altar. Whichever one of our gods 
answers with fire, one knows the one true God. You go first. So you got Baal and all these prophets, uh, these prophets of Baal. They're over here. They begin to pray. Well, the praying's not working, so they start cutting themselves. And, and I, here's what I love about Elijah. Elijah begins to taunt them. I pray a little louder. I think he's sleeping. Now, I'm telling you, the Bible's great. This is there. Uh, I think your God is in the bathroom taking a poop. It's in the Bible. Go read it. Go check it out. And that's why I love Elijah. He just starts, I mean, what are they going to do? I know my God is. He begins to taunt them. Well, of course, nothing happens. He says, my turn. My turn. Build the altar. Let's rebuild it. Get it up there. He said, oh, no, no. I tell you what. Let's dig a trench around the altar. And now let's take some jars of water. Now, they're in a drought, three-and-a-half-year drought. Let's, let's take those, and let's just cover it with water. You realize we're about to pray for fire to fall, and it's going to be harder to catch the wet wood on fire. Here's what I believe God does sometimes. God will make our situation impossible so that when it does happen, we can't say, oh, it just had really good quality of wood. Oh, the wood was so good, that's why it burned so well. No, he'll say, when you, that, I'm convinced that's why God called us to watch the bar. Because when he did a miracle, people say, there's no way those idiots ever did it. God had to do it through them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, some of them, babe. Uh, but <laughs> I'm convinced. I'm convinced of that. And, and, and so he calls down fire, man. And I mean, it, it consumes everything. And then, I'll tell you, you got to read the Bible more. Then they go on a killing spree. They literally, they kill all these prophets. And then Elijah and his servants, uh, they head up to Mount Carmel. Three and a half year drought, remember? They, so they, they head up there and to begin to pray. Elijah's going to pray for the drought to end. So they pray. He gets up there and he prays. He sends his servant. He says, hey, go, go check, see if you see anything. See if there's a cloud or anything. Servant comes back and says, nothing. Elijah prays again. Go check again. Nothing. Go check again. Nothing. Go check again. Nothing. This goes on seven times. Finally, the seventh time, the servant comes back. There's a cloud about the size of a man's hand up there. And Elijah's like, Enough said, the rain's coming, let's go. Here's what I wonder when I read that story. The Bible doesn't say this, but I like. To, I just wonder. If the first time that servant went out there, he's like, that looks like a small cloud. But that's not even worth mentioning. It's not even worth bringing up. Nothing. Go And by the seventh time, he's like, I guess I'm going to tell him about this little big cloud here. Because I'm tired of climbing this mountain to look. I'm, I mean, he's, he's sitting there praying. Yeah, yeah, pray. You sent me to work. Uh, let's go. <laughs> and so he got, and finally, cloud's hand. Can I tell you something? It is not the size of the cloud that's going to determine your blessing. It's not the size of the cloud that's going to determine your breakthrough. It is the God that's going to put the rain in the cloud that's going to determine it. Now listen, we can get, I'm hungry, and we can get out of here really quick and eat if y'all will get with me. If not, it may be a long day. Thank you.
Somebody get that brown off Ben's nose. Here's the thing, church. Here's what I'm trying to say. When I get up here, I have to understand this. It's not about how talented I am. It's not about how smart I am. It's not about how much school I do have or don't have. It's not about my abilities. It's, about, it's all about God. And if God says do it, then nothing is going to be able to stand in my way. Come on now. It's about God. Quit minimizing what God's given you. I tell my wife this, like my, oh, Kelly, I, I mean, I give her assignment to, to do something here at church. Oh, Kelly, come on, get somebody else to do it. Get somebody else to do it. And then she gets up here like this morning and just lays it out there. I don't say, shut up, woman. Get up here and do what God. But I'm smart. I don't say that. I don't say that. I say, baby, that was good. That was fire. Do it again. But we minimize still things that God's given us. Casey, man, I'll give you another example. The last time Casey taught on Wednesday night, he's like, oh, man, that was good. And I was, and I'd already bragged my brother Chris about how great he did. And me and Casey go down there, and, and, and Chris's like, man, Kelly told me you did awesome. And I'm like, shut up. Quit minimizing. Man, it was powerful. But we do because we're comparing our gifts to other people's gifts. I love, you know what, this, what Chris tells me almost every week? You be you, Kelly. You be you, Pastor. Why? Because a lot of times I'm, I get up here and I have to, I'm like, man, who do, who do they want today? What Kelly do they want today? And I have to be reminded, man, you be you. And I'm telling you, we, we got to quit comparing oil. I, I, we had men Zion were, and, and I'm not going to tell you where we were at because the, people will know who I'm talking about. They don't go to church here. But men Zion were talking, and somehow we got in this conversation about money and what we would do with if, if we had a million dollars, two million dollars. And this lady's like, I, I, I would never want a million dollars. I, I looked at her like, you stupid. I said, I'll take a million. In fact, you win the lotto, I'll take $450 million. And so she's, oh, oh what, what would you, Kelly, what would you do with it? I said, well, one, I, I, I would help use it to help our community, to serve better our community, to, to build a church up here with some of the best stuff that we could put on incredible productions. I said, I would help the two uh missionaries that we we help that go to africa every year i would help miss kim who goes to mexico for two years i said i can tell you i could do a lot with the money that money and then here's her response oh yeah i've seen the trips you and denise go on on facebook you know what she's doing she's got her dipstick in my oil <laughs> trying to check my oil Trying to check my oil. I looked at her and said, what you don't know is my wife works a second job so we can go on those trips. And we love going on them. You're not going to make me feel bad about enjoying life with your poverty mentality. And I told her, I said, I said, it, and I, I said it nicer than that, I promise. But I did, I said, listen, here's the way I feel. When my kids, I said, if I see them trying and trying, and I know something's going to make, but they, they love something, and I can bless them with it, 
I'm going to do it. I said, I think my heavenly father's the same way. Like, I almost said her name. Thank you, Jesus. And I said, I think my heavenly father's the same way. I said, I think God will look and say, you know what? Kelly and Denise, man, I love those kids. They've been working their tails off. They've been faithful and in, in, in giving. And you know what? I know they love to travel. I'm going to let this incredible deal on this trip come on to their email where they can go. And I said, so I said, what you need to do is quit comparing my oil to your oil. But we do that a lot. Come on now. We do that. We want to compare. And then when we do that, we end up hating what we have. Or we get real spiritual about it. And I don't want it. Well, you don't want it because you don't think it's possible for you to have. I choose to believe that it's possible. Well, I just, I just don't, you know, I just don't know if I could be trusted with it. Hey, I'd like God to at least give me one time, time to trust me with it. Let me try one time, God, one time. That's all I need. Come on, don't act like you. I'm telling you, quit despising what God has given you. Quit looking at other people's and despising, well, I wish I had that. Here's what I know, what God has given you. I'm telling you, quit. some of you think, well, I've done this. No, no, no. What he's given you, he's not taken back. And the enemy can't steal it. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says the gifts and the call of God on your life are irrevocable. Meaning he's not taking them back. You didn't screw up too bad. You didn't mess up too bad. They're still there. I'm telling you. See, the enemy knows he can't take my call as, as the pastor here at Watts Bar Way. He can't steal that. But what he can do is get me to start hating the oil. Get me to start thinking... Man, Kelly, you are a terrible pastor. You offend so many people by what you say. And I, I, I probably do. Um, you don't study near enough. You, you don't pray like a real pastor would pray. I mean, and I can listen to that. I, I, I can hear that and I can start. And, but, and, but the thing is, man, when you start listening to those voices, you start despising what God has given you. You quit devaluing because God didn't call me to be anybody else but Kelly Goins. That's it. And so if I'm trying to be somebody else, I'm devaluing what God has given me. Man, I hope you are getting this. Here's the thing. The enemy doesn't have to take it from you. He doesn't have to take your oil from you. He just needs to get you to despise it. The woman started out. Her whole conversation, when, when Elijah says, what do you have? Her whole conversation started with her telling him her, what she didn't have. Here's my deficit. Here's my glitch. Here's my defect. I don't have anything. Because here's the thing. When you feel P-O-O-R, you don't P-O-U-R. When you feel poor, when, when you feel like you're a poor husband or wife, What's the point of even trying? You feel like a poor parent? What's the point of even trying? It, it's funny because you, you can go from feeling like the best at something and in a heartbeat feeling like the worst. Come on. You're like, man, I am the best parent in the world. And then all of a sudden you'll see somebody that posted something about how you shouldn't let your babies do this, your children do that. You know, I'm a horrible parent. I, I'll never forget this. I, I remember one time when Denise and I, we were living in Cleveland, going to church over there, and uh, we both uh, worked there at the church. And, and so we were having these threats against the church. Things were going on. So uh, an alarm or something went off, so we went back to check on it. 
Now, I'm the man. I'm going to take care of my woman. And I walk in that dark church. I'll just tell you, any dark, any church when it's dark is scary. <laughs> I don't want to see angels. I don't want to see ghosts. I, don't, I just want to get in there to the light switch and turn the light on. But you're in there. Or we walk in that door. Denise is behind me. Now, I got this, baby. Stay back. Stay back. We get ready to go into the office. Don't you start laughing, woman. Someone, someone has put, as you walk into the office, this life-sized cardboard cutout of John Wayne. <laughs> Gun drone. I open the door. I step in there. Look, Denise turns on the light. Hiya! And Denise is doing what she's doing. I look back. <laughs> she's dying laughing. I feel about this. I went in there to man, but I walked out Barney Fife. <laughs> and here's my point. It doesn't take something big to bring us down to that. It doesn't take a big shame Something to hit us. It can be the smallest little thing that makes your riding right high right here. And the smallest little thing can happen. The enemy begins to whisper in your ear. And you begin to despise who you are and what you've been given. I'm telling you, it's easy to do. It's easy. I, I tell, there are things about me as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a friend, that if I'm honest, I, I have some insecurities about. And when I have those insecurities, I start calling something nothing. When it's really something. It's really something. But it seems so small, it's not worth mentioning. And see, here's what happens. When the need seems so big compared to the supply, you call it nothing. When your need seems so big, you're looking at the need and you're looking at your small jar of oil. It looks like nothing. Are you following me? And so it just sits there on the shelf not being used. And the opportunity for God to use what you do have passes because it seems so little. You, do you remember when Jesus fed the multitude with the five loaves and two fish? You know, thousands. I mean, it says 5,000 men. That's just the men. Most theologians say with the women and children, it was more like eighteen to 20,000 people there that day. And here you've got this little boy. Jesus says, hey, hey, because here's what people look like when they're looking at the, at the need and they're looking at the supply. They send them away to get something to eat. Remember, that's what the disciples did. He said, no, 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 there's something here. It's not nothing. Well, we've got a little bag lunch, five loaves and two fish. Jesus is like, okay, let's get it. And the thing is, it was five loaves and two fish as long as it stayed in that bag. But when they began to give it out and give it out, it multiplied. It multiplied. And what was only meant to feed one little boy that day fed thousands because he refused to say it's nothing and say, here, I'll give what I have. I'll pour out what I have. I'm t that's good, I'm telling you. And, I, and here's the thing, yeah. As long as the woman's oil stays on the shelf, it doesn't multiply. It doesn't multiply. Your breakthrough could be hidden in what you've been overlooking. 
Are you hearing me? It, it could be hidden. The reason you've been overlooking it is because there are some insecurities about who you are or who you are not. And the enemy will work on you until what you do have, the gifts that you do have, you start viewing them as nothing, and it keeps you from the breakthrough God wants to give you. I, I sent Bob out this past week to ask one question to people. What are you great at? What are you great at? Check it out. What do you mean, what do I grade at? <laughs> <laughs> what am I great at? <laughs> oh, great at football. Um, babysitting children. I don't know. What, what are we doing here? Bob. I'm great at cooking. I'm great at cooking. Um, I'm great at writing. I'm great at cleaning. Singing. <laughs> I don't know. What am I great at? God, I'm getting really nervous. Why is this camera right in my face? I'm great at... Bob, I hate you. Um, I'm great at, I'm great at hating Bob. That is what I'm best known for. Absolutely nothing. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Drawing, I guess. What am I great at? Uh... I don't know that I'm great at anything. Taking care of people. Nothing in particular. Cutting grass, man. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, jack of all trades, but master of none, really. What? what? I have no idea. Praising Jesus. Um, softball. Volleyball. Uh, drawing. School. Huh? Great at. What are you talking? Oh, great. I'm a nurse. I'm great at nursing. I'm great at playing football. Yeah. I, I love football. Um. Great question. Everything I do was not right here. Everything. Everything. Yeah. Better listening to God.
all those people, when asked the question, what are you great at? Maybe 20% had an answer. Why is that? It's not, a, come on, it's not because they're humble. You saw Melissa, everything, everything. <laughs> Here's why I think. I think the enemy has messed with us so much that the gifts we do have, we think so little of them, we don't even bother mentioning them. I love when she said nursing, when Melissa said taking care of people. But a lot of us would think it's not even worth bringing up. What about I'm good at listening? I'm good at being a friend. I mean, we've been given different gifts, but we make so little of them. And, and, and we devalue what God has given us. Or we look at them as defects, glitches things that we were different about us. And, and I'm telling you, he, he, or, or we'll do this, we'll look, well, Kelly, if I had so-and-so's gift, if I was able to do that. But here's the thing. Elisha didn't say, what do you wish you had in your house? Elisha said, what do you have in your house? Not what gifts do you wish you had, no, no, what do you have? What is there in your house? Why is that an important question? Because it's what she had in her house, not what she wished she had, but what she had in her house at the moment. That's what God used to bring the miracle. That's what God used to supply her needs, what she ha had. The oil that he's given you, guess what? That's the oil you need. The oil that he's given you. But the oil only multiplies when it's poured out. Or did you hear me? You can speak over it. You can pray over it. You can put it on our Facebook prayer wall. You can dance over it. But it's not going to do anything until you pour it out. Pour it out. See, if the enemy can't take your oil, the next best thing to convince you of is to stop pouring and the truth is, some of you stopped pouring. You used to pour your life out. You used to pour that oil out. But you got hurt. You felt betrayed. Someone did you wrong. Some, something happened. And so you stopped pouring. But the problem is, when you stopped pouring, it stopped flowing. It stopped flowing. It's easy to stop pouring when you get frustrated. Can, can we be real? I mean, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like you can't give anymore, when you feel like, I need somebody to pour into me, I can't pour out. It's easy to feel frustrated. I'm telling you, but I'm telling someone today, it's time to get the oil back off the shelf and start pouring again. Because that's where your breakthrough is going to come. You come in here, see some of you come in here on Sunday morning, and you pour out your praise, you pour out your worship, even after having a bad week. But I'm telling you, that's when you need to do it most. Because that's when it begins to flow. It begins to flow. And I know our philosophy is this. Because we've been taught, well, Kelly, when I get more, I'll pour more. But that's not God's system. That's not the way he works. The way God works is this. It becomes more as it's poured. 
It becomes more as it's poured. Hey, go ahead. Feel sorry for yourself. Go ahead. Try to get other people on your little train to where you're, you're feeling bad, far, sorry for yourself. You're discouraged. And the problem is the more people you get on that train, the faster it goes. And you're only going to find yourself more discouraged, more down in the dumps, feeling more bad about yourself. But on the other hand, even though you're feeling drained, begin to pour into somebody else. Begin to pour out and see what happens to your life. See what happens. Because here's the problem. We allow ourselves to get down there and get discouraged and, and, we're, and bitterness sets in. But here's the thing. Bitterness will keep you from pouring what you have while you wait on what you want. In other words, I, I've got this, but I'm not going to put, that's what I want. So I'm going to hold on to what I have. So you don't pour. And in the process, you stay bitter and get frustrated. I wonder, and I'm closing. I wonder as I read this story about Elisha and the woman, when Elisha said, how can I help you? I wonder if the woman thought, He's about to get his checkbook out. But then he follows it up. What do you have in your house? Poor. A lot of times we, we, we want our help to be like, there you go. And not have to do anything for it. And I said, I'll tell you what. You go, get, go out to the valley. He didn't say, hey, let's get your neighbors to bring jars to you. He said, go get them. Go get them, bring them to your house. And I, I'm telling you, it's frustrating when you have to pour into somebody else when all you really want to do is have somebody pour into you. Come on. And what happens a lot of times, too, is when you're pouring into somebody else and nobody's pouring, the enemy comes and whispers in your ear, nobody appreciates it. Nobody appreciates what you're doing. They don't even notice what you're doing. They, they, they don't notice anything. They don't appreciate the sacrifices or the encouragement. Can we have a real talk? Because I've been there. I've thought, you know what? These people don't even appreciate the fact that I've spent hours studying for this message. They don't appreciate the fact that I've looked for humorous stories that I could tell, be funny, make them laugh. They don't appreciate none of that. They're going to get on Facebook, talk about how I said this. I slipped up, said a cuss word. I said, said this. That has happened. But it's going to go there. But... And it's easy for me to get in that state. But I only get there when I realize it's not, I may be pouring into you, but it's not you I'm pouring for. I'm pouring for him. I'm pouring for him. And when you realize this, I may be pouring into Josh, but it's not him I'm pouring for. I'm pouring for God. And when I realize, and when you realize who you're pouring for, listen, you can leave or you can stay. I'm still going to pour. You can like me, don't like me. I'm still going to pour. You can talk bad about me. I'm still going to pour. Because it's not you I'm pouring for. Some of you, we need to get that attitude. It's who I'm pouring for. There have been times, I'm, I'm be honest, my times I pray, God, let's have one of those services where worship takes over and I don't have to do nothing. I don't have to preach. God's moving, Holy Spirit's doing everything. But then what happens? I get up here. I begin to pour out what I have. And He begins to pour into me what He has. And His supply 
is always greater than what I'm giving out. Man, I, let, let, let's, let's close this thing out. Second Kings, let's close it with this. Elisha said, go around, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for a few. Then go out inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. Final point is this. Once you start pouring, shut the door. Shut the door. I think there are a couple of reasons why Elisha said to shut the door. But the one I really think is because he said, I don't want you to be able to hear anybody saying, hey, what you have doesn't matter. Shut the door or don't, don't hang on to what you have. You better not give that up. That's all you got. I think it was shutting the door, the door on the enemy, on voices of even friends that will come at us. They think they're telling us to do something. Listen, when God speaks to you to do something, that's what you do. But the enemy loves coming in and trying to convince you otherwise. Shut the door. Shut the door. You'll never pour out what you have as long as you allow others to tell you what to do with it. Are you hearing me? There's a great story, and I really am closing with this. Where Jesus gets invited to have dinner with this prominent Pharisee. And a woman shows up. Luke 7, 37, 38. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, most scholars say she was a prostitute, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume out on them. She walks into this room where everybody but Jesus is looking on, and she knows they know about her glitch. They know, she knows they know who she is. Come on, how'd she know where the house was? I think the first time there. She knows they know about her defect, about her faults, and she walks in there. She's been told, hey, what you have is so little to offer, don't you dare bring it to Jesus. Yet she shuts the door to the noise and the voices and she begins to pour. And the Bible says that, that the Pharisees that invited Jesus said this, if this man really were a prophet, he'd know who's he, who he's allowing to pour this out at his feet. If this man really were, was who he says, he, he wouldn't allow this sinful woman to do this. The thing is, Jesus knew exactly who she was defects glitches and all and he said go ahead and pour go ahead and pour and what i love about this it was perfume that she poured out so you know man yeah i don't know if you ever walked through the mall and you walk in one of those stores and there's just squirting perfume on you and the rest of the day you got that whatever smell it was on you i could imagine she'd poured oil that perfume on his feet all over him she'd weep there and when she left there that day she left smelling like Jesus she left there with the aroma of Jesus why because she didn't allow anybody to tell her that what she had to give wasn't worth mentioning I'm telling you guys God knew see when Jesus looked at her he didn't see her defect he didn't see her past he didn't see her glitches he saw a daughter of God 
He knew this. She is wonderfully made. He knew that his father had the ability and to and would work all things in her life to bring glory to God. He knew that God wastes nothing. He doesn't waste their defects. He doesn't waste their past. He doesn't waste their failures. He doesn't waste their heartbreak. He doesn't waste their hurts. He doesn't waste any of it. In fact, he will work it all out to bring him glory. If you watch the movie, you find out that what she thought was a glitch that kept her from being part of this gang she wanted to be in was actually the thing that catapulted her to the front. The widow woman said, I have nothing. Three verses later, she's got a house full of oil. What changed? Her willingness to pour out what she did have. Stand with me. You know, there was one qualification to the type of vessel that Elisha told him to bring. Anybody remember what it was? Empty. Empty vessel. Because you can't fill something with oil that's got stuff already in it. And some of you need to empty out some things in your life. Because God is wanting to pour oil into you. Fresh oil. But you've put other things in there that need to be emptied out. I don't know if it's unforgiveness, hurt. I don't know if it's some kind of sin, some kind of brokenness in your life. I don't know if it's pride. I don't know if it's opinions. But God said, empty it out and allow me to pour into you today. And there's some of you that the enemy has convinced you to put what you have on the shelf and not use it because it's not even worth mentioning. And God is saying, if you'll begin to pour, you'll see what I can do in the overflow. Where are you at? Where are you at on the spectrum? Well, some, I, everybody in here has been given gifts. They've been given something. Don't devalue it just because you think it's a defect. Don't devalue it because you don't think it's worth even mentioning. God, it's a gift God gave you. God gave you. I, I'm convinced God made different people, Josh, because different people need different things. The people I speak to are different from the ones that Pastor Tim speaks to. Are you hearing me? Because different people need to hear it different ways. Different ways. So what has God given you? Heads bowed, eyes closed.